the text behind the piece that Mrs. King just sang is Philippians 2 and 3. I would encourage you to read that today as you think about what it means to serve the Lord and especially as we look at Isaiah 49 and see the very high cost. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 49 this morning. Isaiah 49 is one of the servant songs. You, there are at least four. Some believe there may be as many as five. They are in Isaiah 42, 49, 50. The most well-known is in 53 with part of 52 and 53, Isaiah 53. And then some believe also that Isaiah 61 is, verses 1 through 3, is also one of the servant songs because Jesus uh, actually read that about himself when he was at the synagogue at Nazareth. When you think about the Lord and you think about his amazing power, glory, and just think about the way that he was able to go about his ministry, it would be very easy for us to think that he faced no discouragement, that he was always encouraging himself in the Lord, in the words of David at Ziklag. But today's text shows us, no, that in fact he did face very difficult and discouraging times. So let's pray together this morning and then read Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13. Lord, be glorified today. Move your servants out of the way so that we may truly glorify you. And that we would find ourselves on this New Year's Day in awe of what you have done and are doing among us. And especially, Lord, as we come together at the conclusion of this message to celebrate our Lord's table together. We ask that you would truly be magnified by our unity. That brethren dwell together in unity. And I praise you and thank you for your wonderful ways, your wonderful grace. And ask that by your spirit this morning, Lord, you would take command of this service. So that Jesus Christ, who is among us, may be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 49 this morning. Listen, O isles, unto me. And hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught, for nothing, and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, 
It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nations abhor, to a servant of rulers, Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. This saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and the day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant to the people to establish the earth, to cause thee to inherit desolate heritages, that they may say to the prisoners, go forth to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways and their pastures shall be in high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall be the heat, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. For he that has mercy on them shall lead them, and even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make my mountains away, and my highway shall be exalted. Behold, these things come from afar, and lo, from the north and from the west, and from these from the land of Sinim. Look at the response in verse 13. Sing, O heavens. And be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Think about what it would be like this morning with all the Christmas lights out and all the lights out, slides off. Think what it would be like to come into this auditorium with no real lights on. Now we know the exit signs, the emergency signs are always on, but just think about how dim it would be. This happens, I would imagine, to more than one person here on the staff. I'll need to come down into the auditorium and I think, oh, I don't need to turn the lights on. And almost every time bang my shin on something and think, I need to turn the lights on. If if you came into the auditorium and it were like that, and, and you weren't familiar with the auditorium, then you would basically have to kind of feel yourself, feel, feel your way around, I should say, and, and just try to be very careful not to stumble or bump into anything. And after a while, a general pattern would emerge. You'd be in the aisles and you'd say, okay, I feel, I feel how this feels, this feels. And the desperate need is for someone just to turn the light on for us in a situation like that. Well, in essence, what you have in the New Testament is that the Lord is turning on the light about what were some shadowy figures in the Old Testament, purposefully so. Paul tells us, and he describes it as as a mystery. In the Bible, a mystery is something that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament that is brought forth in brilliant light in the New Testament. And you can see it in a passage like this when the Lord says to this servant, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. When you go into the New Testament, you go to John chapter 8, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
You, you go to a passage in Revelation. You can see it there in your notes. In Revelation, you go to that, and you find out that ultimately in the New Jerusalem, the temple of the New Jerusalem, that the Lord is the light. Now, here's one of the really remarkable connections of this morning's text. When the Lord says, I will be a light to the nations, I will be a light to the Gentiles, how does he do that? How is it that Jesus Christ is a light to the nations, especially when he's already back in heaven? And the answer to that is exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John chapter 8. Jesus said also, you are the light of the world. So clearly, we're not the source of the light. We're like, we're like the moon that reflects the light of the sun. There is something happening here where in a very dark world, there is an opportunity to share and to spread the light of God that was prophesied all the way back here in Isaiah chapter 49. When you think about light, here's an acronym to consider, living in godliness, holiness, and truth. Light, L-I-G-H-T, living in godliness, holiness, and truth. Are you of the opinion, do you have this perspective that in this very dark world, in this very depraved world, with all the wickedness that you see and the corruption even in leadership, do you get the idea that what we really need is for people to live in godliness and holiness and truth and that that's exactly what the Lord wants to bring about in, in our generation, that he wants us to be the light of the world and direct people to the true light, the source of that light. If that concept intrigues you, then I think Isaiah 49 will really comfort you and me today as we begin to work through this and ask right off the bat, well, who is the servant? He's identified here as Israel. You say, okay, it's Israel. And so that raises the question, is he talking about the nation of Israel? Uh, the name Israel means prince with God. Is, is that what he's talking about? The Jacob whose name was changed to Israel and, and the nation that sprang forth. They became a nation at Mount Sinai. They were given their constitution, including the Ten Commandments. They became a great nation at Sinai. Is that what he's talking about? The difficulty with saying it's the, it's the nation of Israel is that you work down through the passage and you find out this servant is, is actually delivering Israel. He, he's actually recovering Israel. He is, he is restoring the nation of Israel and Jacob. It's very plain in the passage. So how could Israel, the nation of Israel, recover Israel, the nation of Israel? That's, that's uh, not even logical. He's speaking of someone else. This actually comes out over in the book of Acts chapter 8 because the, the Ethiopian official who was riding along in his chariot was actually reading one of the servant songs. He was reading Isaiah 53. As I said a moment ago, your servant songs are in Isaiah 42, 
49, Isaiah 50, 53, and some would include Isaiah 61. Well, here's this Ethiopian official, and he's riding along in his chariot, and he's reading Isaiah 53. And the evangelist Philip runs along beside him and said, do you, do you understand what you're reading? He said, well, how can I, except somebody explains this to me. And so Philip saw where he was reading, and they were asking the questions, and he said, look, is, is, is the prophet here speaking of himself, or is he speaking of another? Who, who's he really talking about? And the glorious answer is in Acts chapter 8, that when Philip heard his question, he said, he opened his mouth and he preached unto him Jesus. <laughs> that is one of the most remarkable connections that you will find anywhere in the scripture. That here is the servant of Isaiah 53, and Philip the evangelist, moved by the Holy Spirit, he opens his mouth and he preaches unto him Jesus. Across the years, people have said, well, I think the servant may be Cyrus. Cyrus was the Medo-Persian king who actually issued the proclamation they could return to the land. Some say it's Isaiah himself. But if you look at the scripture, you find out very quickly, no, the servant he is speaking of here is the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, why does he call him Israel? Israel, the nation, was supposed to go forth and glorify the Lord to all the nations. They were supposed to be used of the Lord to spread his word worldwide. What happened to Israel? They rebelled. They rebelled against the Lord. They did not accomplish the mission. And as you can read in many different passages, including Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, that the Lord would cause what was the mighty tree of Israel to come crashing down, but the stump remained. And out of the stump came the Nazir. This is uh, in the New Testament when it brings this out, it says, he shall be called a Nazarene. He's actually playing on that word, that little word of the root of Jesse that you see. And we find out in Isaiah chapter 11 and other passages that the root of Jesse, that's Jesus Christ, would rise to be triumphant and rule over the entire world. That's what's going on here. You see, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the Messiah, is fulfilling all that Israel should have done. He is bringing it forth. We see this in the New Testament when Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It, it, isn't that an interesting way to think about that? Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. You see, what's happening in Isaiah 49 by his calling him Israel is that the Lord is saying, I am sending my Emmanuel. I am sending him whom I am calling Israel here to fulfill my mission and to accomplish what I set out to do because the Lord is unchanging and he will accomplish his mission. He's doing exactly the same thing through us. If you come to this New Year's Day and you look back on this last year and you say, oh, I just, you know, I feel my failure so intently. I, I just feel like, you know, I, I really did not, did not honor the Lord. Take heart. The Apostle Paul said, Christ lives in us. You find in the scriptures, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so when you think today about 
what's happening here in Isaiah 49, just remember that Jesus Christ is the servant. And remember what it tells us in Hebrews, that he was in all points tempted or in all points tested just as we are. So whatever it is, the trial that you are going through today, whatever that, whatever that testing is, whatever is bringing pain into your life, whatever problems you are facing, bear in mind, Jesus Christ was in all points tested and tempted like as we are. Occasionally at the hospital, someone will ask me this question here. They're enduring just great difficulties like Randy Raymond is going through this morning. And some have, have been in hospital beds in just agony. And, and sometimes the agony is the agony of old age. And they've said, well, Jesus Christ didn't live to, in his earthly ministry, he didn't live to old age. He, you know, he went to heaven somewhere around 33, 33 and a half years of age. How was he in all points tested like as we are? And one of the things you recognize is when you go through the ravages that our bodies go through with disease and troubles and, you know, gravity grabs us and <laughs> yanks us down. Those of you who are very tall, bear in mind that gravity will bring you down a couple of inches. That's one of the things they're, they're learning. Jesus Christ in his crucifixion went through far worse than the ravages of old age, than the than the falling apart of vital organs. Jesus Christ went through far worse than that on the cross for every one of us. And so he really was tested and tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so when you think about the servant today, as we read, think about what's happening here. First question would be, how would God actually prepare his servant how would he actually accomplish that? And you can see it here in the text, and I put the notes here on the screen. How would God prepare his servant for his mission? And right at the very beginning, in verse 1, he tells, you, he tells him, I called you to this. The Lord's calling is, is so very powerful. What is it that the Lord has called you to do as, as a mother as, as a grandmother, as a father, as, as a grandfather, as a, as a new parent, as a, as a child with his parents, as a teenager who is starting more and more to recognize the things that are going on in life, what is it that the Lord has called you to? And one of the answers that you would find is that we are called to be sons of God. This is Philippians, sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom we shine as lights in the world. There's that idea again of living in godliness, holiness, and truth. Light, living in godliness, holiness, and truth. And so one of the things we're seeing is that we're learning to, to love our Lord and, and lean upon him, depend upon him for everything. Knowing that he is the pattern for all of us. He was given this calling. This is the Lord's calling. He says, the Lord called me from the womb. And you know that in Matthew, we learned that the angel spoke to Joseph and said, you shall call his name Jesus. It says in Isaiah 49, calling him by his name. 
You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a remarkable calling. And you and I today are blessed by his great grace working in our lives. But there's more. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, you have made my mouth like a sharp sword. He has made the Lord's mouth like a sharp sword. Why why on earth would he give the servant a, a sharp sword, his mouth like a sharp sword? He's made my mouth like a sharp sword. And then catch this, in the shadow of his hand. That sounds like something like a secret, right? In the shadow of his hand, he has made me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver has he hidden me. Do you get the idea when you read verse 2? It's almost, like a, it's almost like a secret weapon that God the Father made this servant, whom we've identified as Jesus Christ, he made him like a secret weapon. You say, in what sense is he a secret weapon? Well, when the kings of the earth would come, if you, if you were a king, if you were a national leader, you would expect them to come with great pomp and circumstance and be haughty and, you know, they're... He's, he's the king. He's the leader. And that's not the way Jesus Christ came at all. Jesus Christ came as the meek and lowly one, he told us in Matthew chapter 11. Meek and lowly. <laughs> nobody, nobody thought to look there. <laughs> no, nobody would have thought to look for the Messiah in a manger. Come on. No. That, that's... That's just not the way it's done. Well, that's exactly the way the Lord does it. You see, here's what the Lord does. He is the highway to heaven. And the highway to heaven is hidden in humility. Think about what I'm saying here. The highway to heaven is hidden in humility. That's why most people never think to look there. It it, it can't be about that. I mean, after all, he's God. It's got to be in something that I... I do some good works that I do, some proud, you know, accomplishment that I, that's not Jesus. Jesus is meek and lowly in heart. He says, learn of me. Let me teach you. I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. The highway to heaven is hidden in humility, but the path to punishment is just paved with pride. Go on that path, the broad way. We get teased every once in a while as Calvary Baptist Church, we're on Broad Avenue. But the broad way is it's just paved with pride. You and I today are recognizing about Jesus Christ. He's like the Lord's secret weapon. Nobody thought to look in humility. Nobody thought to look at someone who was meek and lowly, and yet that's exactly what he does. And Did the Lord make his mouth like a sharp sword? Did he ever? On one occasion, you can see there in your notes, and for those of you who are online, there's there's extended notes. You can see that the Pharisees and chief priests, they sent these officers to arrest Jesus Christ. You go apprehend him. You arrest him, and you bring him here right now. The officers came back and said, nobody ever spoke like this man. What was happening their hearts were penetrated by the word of God. It tells you in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is alive. 
It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharp, it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a discerner of the thought and intents of the heart. It's one of the reasons we would appeal for you to read your Bible through this year. Let, let it discern your heart. Let it show you what you are really like. Read the Bible until it reads you. So when you think about what's happening there and how the Lord is doing this, this is his secret weapon that he's using. It will be like a secret weapon hidden in the quiver and ready for use. But don't miss verse 4. Look at verse 4, if you will, because this is truly astounding. Here is what is prophesied about the Messiah that he would say. Now, just so we understand this. It tells us in Luke 2.52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. That's about the only real hint that we have about his childhood. We, we learn about him. He, you know, he went to the temple and, and there he met with all the high doctors and was able to ask them all kinds of questions. They were all astounded. But as far as how did he acquire that learning? The servant songs give us a lot of hints. In fact, if you look forward at the next chapter, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4, notice that the Lord, God the Father, would, would meet with him morning by morning. I think the expression means continually. To give him the tongue of a disciple or the tongue of the learned, our translation says in order that he might know how to speak a word to him that is weary in due season. It's God the Father who is discipling his son. And, and I'm going to bring that back in just a moment because that's a really interesting way for you and me to think about discipleship today. But notice what the Lord is doing here. He, he's using his word. And you would think, well, with God the Father behind him and, and you know, with with all of his, his great majestic talent, what happens? Look at verse 4. Then I said, I've labored in vain. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught, for nothing. And in vain. It may be that you come here today and you are one discouraged person. It, it may be that you are in just almost abject despair. And you may have been saying to yourself, well, Jesus never faced anything like that. Guess what? Yes, he did. This is the true prophecy about the inner workings of the heart of the Messiah. And even he faced such deep discouragement and despair that he wondered, have I labored in vain? Have I used all my energies for like, Nothing. So perhaps today you're feeling that and you're facing that and you're thinking, yeah, this is exactly what I'm going through. I have this very severe frustration as I am just wrestling with, am I accomplishing anything? 
1912, there was a medical doctor named Dr. William Leslie. He went to the Congo, labored in the jungles of the Congo for 17 years. He didn't see much fruit. Came home to the U.S., died nine years later and said, I tried. I did my best to honor the Lord. In 2010, a missionary group was very burdened about going to the Congo because they knew that they needed to be evangelized. Lo and behold, when they got there, they found churches far and wide reproducing churches. They had, there was a whole network of churches. Sometimes they would get together for these massive hymn sings of hymns they had written themselves to sing to the Lord. And you know where it all started? It started with a man who was completely and totally discouraged when he got back to the United States and said, I messed up somewhere. I blew it somewhere. And yet the Lord worked mightily through him to accomplish that amazing task. What is it today that you are facing where you are just at the end of yourself? I linked in the extended notes that you could, if you scan the QR code, you can get the extended notes online to a little article entitled Lord of the Letdowns. Jesus Christ did face that. At the triumphal entry, you know, da, 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 the triumphal entry, and everybody is, and then what happened? You read, this, you read the scripture, all the excitement died down, and it says, Jesus Christ looked, looked around and then went home. And within a couple of days, the same crowds were crying, crucify him. Do you see why Jesus would have felt that he had accomplished nothing at points? But there's hope here, and don't miss the hope. Look at the end of verse 4. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Don't forget that in Hebrews it talks about this. That the Lord is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labors of love. He, he doesn't forget that. And, and basically what the servant is here saying is, submit your work to the Lord. It may be that others disdain you. It may be that others despise you. It may be that others discourage you. Submit your work to the Lord. As it says in 1 Peter 2, he submitted himself to him who judges righteously. He said in verses 4 and 5, yet surely, this is the encouragement of how he faced 
his deep despair. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now says the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. You see, that's why it can't be the nation of Israel. To bring Jacob again to him. Why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? To bring Jacob again, to bring Israel to the Lord. You say, is Israel, by and large, is Israel as a nation gathered to the Lord today, Look what he says. To bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered. At his first coming, his own people rejected him. They despised him. And here's what the Lord says. I sent you to bring Jacob again to the Lord. And though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. The reason you and I are sitting here today, if you know the Lord, the reason we're sitting here today is that's exactly what happened. Israel rejected his Messiah. The Lord says, though Israel be not gathered, yet I will be glorious. And the reason you and I are glorifying the Lord today is saying, you know, that's, a, that's exactly what's happened. As we'll see in just a moment, he is a light to the Gentiles. He shows us here that the Lord is accomplishing his purpose. When Jesus Christ went to that cross to die for our sins, everyone had turned away from him. The 70 disciples had turned away, and the Lord said to his disciples, will you go away also? Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. We're we're staying with with you. But then at his crucifixion, they all ran. They all fled away. Can you imagine what it was like to be Jesus Christ on the cross? And it's as if everyone had forsaken him. He even cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, you and I today are, and even the the, uh, offertory that was played a few moments ago, glorious He's glorious. Even though he faced the grief and despair. So what was the Lord's purpose? Well, he would face these problems of severe frustration, suspecting that he had labored in vain, wasted his energies. He would be comforted. Would he accomplish his purpose? Yes, his purpose. You can see it in verse 5, to glorify God. That's a wonderful purpose for you and me, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God, to bring Israel back to God. By the way, he is still doing that today. There is the testimony in the book of Zephaniah that he will bring Israel back when the Lord pours out his spirit, precious promise of his grace, then his people will behold him and his welcoming embrace. And the blessed house of David shall cry out and humbly pray. And a fountain for their cleansing will be opened in that day. Those who pierced me shall behold me, mourning over all their sin. As Messiah, they shall know me. As the Savior for all men. The Lord is going to accomplish that. But right now, he is doing this great work. He is a light to the Gentiles. He's the light of the world. I'm asking you this question today. Are you his light in this world, living in godliness, holiness, 
and truth. He is the light of the Gentiles, proclaiming God's salvation. And it's very plain in verse 7. Here's one of the reasons we know this is not the nation of Israel. He is to be worshipped. Ooh, that wouldn't be appropriate for any mere human being. Not even for the nation of Israel to be worshipped, no. But he is to be worshipped. And ultimately, he is going to bring those who are in bondage. He's going to bring about their deliverance. I put these two verses up on the screen to point out and remind you what I said a moment ago. In Matthew chapter 28, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The word teach there is the word for making disciples. Who is your disciple? If you're a parent today, your chief disciples are your own children. Whom are you discipling? In the sense of 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Whom are you discipling? Who, who is more like the Lord because of you? And here's an interesting way to think about this. Look at the second verse that's on the screen there, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. This is the second, I'm sorry, the third servant song. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. You could translate that as the tongue of a disciple. Why the tongue of a disciple? That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Why should you read your Bible this year? That you might know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. We have some serious questions about what 2023 is going to be like. There's a lot of doom and gloom forecast out there. I don't know if they're right. We, none of us really knows if they're right. But that people are going to face more intense problems this year than in many other years. Oh, yeah, that's, that, I think that's a given. Okay, here's how the Lord works through us. If if we're going to love the Lord and lean upon the Lord, here's how the Lord works through us. That in living in godliness, holiness, and truth, we, we know how to use his word, his very sharp word. We know how to use his word to speak a word in season to him who is weary. You say, well, if they're, if they're weary, they sure don't need sharpness. Do you remember the story about the road to Emmaus? Here's the two disciples. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're walking uh, seven, ten miles, uh, probably into the evening, going from Jerusalem down to Emmaus. Jesus Christ joins them, the resurrected Christ. But it says their eyes were held, so they, they didn't know it was him. And so he's saying, say, why are, you, why are you so sad? Why are you so discouraged? They said, well, haven't you heard about everything that just happened? And he said, well, tell me, you know, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and... Uh, they said, well, we thought, you know, we thought Jesus was the Christ and, you know, but then he was put to death and, you know, I, and here is his, the resurrected Jesus is walking along right beside him and they're really, really discouraged. Okay. If somebody were really, really discouraged this morning, I mean, they're really, really down. Would you say this to them? Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. <laughs> is that the first word to come out of your mouth? Oh, fools. <laughs> You're like, whoa, doesn't Jesus know how to counsel people? And we would agree that Jesus knows exactly how to counsel people. 
He knows exactly what they need. And what those two men needed at that time was to be reminded of what the scripture says. And then it says, and beginning at Moses, he showed them the Messiah in all the Old Testament. I am fervently hoping that there are replays in heaven. You know how you watch a football game and it happens so fast and they go back in slow motion and they kind of show you. I'm really hoping there are replays in heaven because if there, if there is a replay of the road to Emmaus story where Jesus explained to his disciples, I want to sit there and just listen in on that one. I mean, I, I want to hear everything that's being said in that one. Think what it would be like for the Messiah himself beginning at Moses to open the scriptures and show you all about himself. What a tremendous encouragement. And remember what they said when they realized who it was and he disappeared from their sight. He said, did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking? Yes, that's exactly how the scripture can encourage you. Remember, Jeremiah went through this. I mean, if we had a testimony service today, would this be appropriate? Just imagine somebody get here giving a testimony and getting up and saying, the Lord deceived me and I was deceived. He is stronger than I and has prevailed. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me for since I spoke, I cried out. I cried violence is spoil. The word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me in a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. Would that be an appropriate testimony for somebody to give? Those are the words of Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 20, beginning with verse 7. That's what he said. But he concluded verse 9 this way. But, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing. I was weary with being silent, he's saying. And I couldn't keep from it. That's why you desperately need the word of God in your heart in this year. That's why you really need to read through your Bible. To know how to speak a word to him that is weary in due season. But don't miss this connection that you see on the screen there. Jesus Christ was the chief disciple of the Father. And Jesus Christ is calling you to be a disciple in the same way that he was a disciple of the Father. That brings our whole Old Testament to bear when we think about the whole counsel of God and learning what it means to be a disciple. You and I could be this kind of encouragement to people in this coming year if we would give ourselves over to honoring the Lord this way. So what, how should we respond? What's the, what's the carry away from this morning's message? Well, you can really see it there right beginning in verse 1 when he says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken you people from afar. You know where you are today? <laughs> You're the people from afar. I'm the people from afar. It's like, whoa. He, he was not only talking about, they believe, the Mediterranean islands coming out of Israel across the Mediterranean. He's talking about worldwide. And so he's saying today, listen and pay close attention. These are very, very important truths that he's giving us here to, to help us understand Back at the Welcome Center, there's a Bible reading schedule. We put it online for you. We can share it with you uh, here today. We can, deacons, I'll, deacons, I'll post a note or I'll put it in our news list and ask somebody. We, we'd be glad to get you an online copy of it. But just to be able to, 
to read and think. That's one of the best ways that you could, you could really pay close attention this year. Of what does the Bible actually say? A right response would be in verse 6, that we would trust him for light and salvation. Have you actually placed your confidence, your faith, your trust in this one who died for your sins and rose again? The pastor that we had for many years in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina was Dr. Walton Hamrick, who's my boss's father. And uh, Dr. Hamrick was led to the Lord by a man named uh, Pastor Thompson. I met Pastor Thompson's children recently, and they actually gave me a biography of him. Here's what Walton Hamrick said. Here's how he came to know the Lord. He said, Pastor Thompson explained the gospel to him. And he said, Walton, if you want to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, take my hand. And Dr. Walton Hamrick, who pastored for well up into his 70s, Pastor Walton Hamrick said, I took his hand. He said, that was the moment when I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. It is true that you can come to know the Lord by praying a prayer. It's very plain in Scripture. That tax collector stood right there and prayed, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord said, That man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So it's very plain in Scripture. But praying the prayer is not the main issue. It's the placing of your faith. Placing your confidence often and usually expressed in prayer, but it's just like they weren't, they weren't praying out loud when Walton Hamrick took Pastor Thompson's hand because he was placing all his confidence in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment. So trust him for light and salvation. Worship him. Here in our Lord's table this morning and as we sing together, worship him, praise him. Trust him for deliverance and protection. You can see in verses 9 through 12. And then I love this in verse 13. You say, why are the servant songs called a servant songs? Well, look at verse 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. If you went back to the beginning of this section in Isaiah chapter 40, you know we sing this in the Messiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. This whole section, that's really what it's about. It's about the Lord who is comforting his people so that he knows and knew how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. So the real point of today's message, I think, is this. That if we're going to love the Lord and lean upon the Lord, he wants us to be the light of the Lord in this world. He wants us to be the light to this world. What does that mean? Well, in this year, it certainly means that we should be living in godliness, holiness, and truth. What is, what is the bushel that we have put over our candles, over our lamps, that are causing that the light is not seen? Those are the kind of things that we have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, take this away. I mean, put, put this out of the way, whatever it is. Whether it is, it's lust or pride or anger or greed or a whole host of other things. Lord, I want to show who Jesus is this year. 
we would really encourage you to read the scriptures and think through this and, and remember that Jesus Christ is the chief disciple and ask, Lord, whom could I disciple in this coming year? And as all together, you and I could be light for the nations. Can we bow our heads together, please? And I'm going to ask the gentlemen who are going to serve the Lord's table if they would please make their way forward at this time. What we'd like to do in uh, the next few moments is just take a brief, quiet time of self-examination. It says in the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, and so let a man examine himself and so let him partake of, of this. The chief sin that appears to be there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is disunity that people were treating other people in very poor ways and they, they weren't really considering each other. But whatever the need is today, whatever it is that, that you need to examine, you, you ask the Lord. If, if you were to ask the Lord right now, Lord, what is it that stands between you and me? He'll, tell you, he'll show you. The Holy Spirit of God will absolutely show you. And so I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and we're going to have just a few quiet moments as our musician plays this morning. Just to carefully think about the Lord and contemplate the Lord. Father, help us then today to truly magnify the one who went through so much discouragement for us. It had to be hard, it had to be difficult. For him to even wonder, have I spent my energies in vain? Have I lived my life in vain? Help us, Lord, wherever we are, whatever our discouragement, whatever our despair, whatever our diseases, whatever it is that we're facing this morning, I ask that you would help us on this New Year's Day 2023, on this blessed Sunday where we remember the resurrection of our Lord that you would help us to be people who would be a light for the nations, that we might know how to speak a word to him that is weary in due season. Encourage us, even as we silently pray together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.